BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in here on a Friday, June 15th, 2018, all day long. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill is out today, but oh boy. Do we have a lot to talk about? I wish I, I wish one day, God damn it, I wish I could crack this mic and say, like, we've got some great news to talk about. Today is going to be a bleak, horrible, disgusting, upsetting show. Seriously. I'm not I'm not trying to scare anybody away, but the news is bleaker now than it's ever been. And I think for my money, what we're gonna talk about today is literally the worst thing that the Trump administration has ever done. I'll talk to you more about that in just a few moments. But first, let's just say uh, hello to everybody. Hello, Ray. Good morning, friends. Ray, keep the duct tape uh, handy. Mine is underneath this wig. You, I always say, seems like every time I host now, I'm going to have to wrap my head in duct tape or else it would explode like a watermelon all over the studio. Mine already did. I scraped up the bits. And put it back and together with the tape. Together. Mm-hmm. It's that's I, I appreciate your resourcefulness. Yep. Uh, here also in studio is McKenna, the one named McKenna. Just the, is that, I think just McKenna, right? McKenna? Yeah, she says yes. I think that should be your move. What's your name? McKenna. McKenna what? No, no, it's just McKenna. They say that's how you know that you've made it. Like Cher, Beyonce. Oprah. Really? Yeah. I can't get away with just, Hi, I'm Peter. Peter, Peter who? who? Just Peter. <laughs> That's weird. And of course, running our video operations is the one and only the man Cyprian Bolding, uh who like look, let's 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 not forget we're on Free Speech TV. We're at youtube.com/thebillpressshow. We also have our Patreon page, patreon.com/bpshow. All these great videos are being produced by Mr. Cyprian Bolding. Uh, so make sure you check all that stuff out. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. And I really am going to need your help today on uh, on Twitter uh, 
both at BP Show, BP Show, and uh, at my personal uh, Twitter feed uh, at Peter Ogburn. I I don't tweet much, as you know. I tweeted a couple times this week, but I, I don't tweet that much. But still, I'm going to be reading your tweets so that um, so that uh, we can participate here. By the way, Ray, I want to play the, the one clip from Sarah Huckabee Sanders about how much she loves her job because we talked yesterday. There's a story from CBS where they said that Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Raj Shah, the deputy uh, communications director, or deputy press secretary, I should say, uh, you've seen him and heard him on this show. He he often leads the press briefings when she's not there. Uh, there was a story saying that they are both, both considering leaving the White House, which would be remarkable. To have both of them leave, that would certainly send some sort of message. Not that anybody would get it that matters, but like it would send a message. But yesterday she was talking about this and she talked about how much she just loves her job. I love my job. I'm glad to work for the president. And each and every day I'll pray for clarity and discernment on what my future looks like. Right now I think the country's looks pretty good and I'm glad to get to be a part of that process and I'm going to continue to do my job. So she's gone, right? She's leaving. I'm pretty <laughs> sure she is resigning today. Yeah, I yeah. mean that a statement that forceful and that clear means she's gone. Her voice also quivered when she's I love my job. Uh, I love my job. Like there's a gun in her back. Yeah. It looks like one of those like old hostage videos. I love my job. No, no, the country's doing great. No, no, I wake up every morning. Can you imagine trying to go to bed at night? After doing the job that Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Raj Shaw or any of those ghouls that work at the at the White House, I just can't imagine getting a good night's sleep. Hang on, folks. Buckle up. It's about to get weird and wild here on the Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. You got it right here on the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today on June 15th, the Friday, all day long. Let's talk very quickly about our guests that we have coming up today. A Senate campaigns reporter at Politico, James Arkin, will be in studio. Lots of big primaries. This week, lots of stuff to cover. Uh, a few more still coming up, too. So we'll talk about all of those and how those look. Also, our friend Adam Smith, communications at every Vo- communications director at Every Voice, will be here at the top of the second hour. By the way, it's so great because Adam is one of those guests, and I'll talk to him about this. I'll book Adam days in advance, and we always know there will be new stuff to talk about when he comes always. in. Like, he talks about the corruption. And just general open graft uh, in the Trump White House. I booked Adam three days ago. (laughs) Do you know how much has happened on that front in three days? So much. So unbelievably much. He should just have a standing Friday booking. Yeah. I told him, I I was like, this is job security, brother. Like you, I mean, (laughs) you're never going to run out of stuff to talk about. Adam Smith, state of the grifting. (laughs) of the art of the grift uh and at 8 30 uh our friend from the hill julia manchester joins us in studio right i want to start really quickly i i don't want to spend much time on this at all but yesterday 
this inspector general report came out uh, uh, essentially said, not essentially, but did say there was no political bias in the way that James Comey handled uh, the investigation to Hillary Clinton, the investigation into Donald Trump, uh, all this. None of this was political bias. Christopher Ray, who is the head of the FBI, I want to play the second clip, Ray, where he says, James Comey doesn't look like he made the best of choices. The report does identify errors of judgment, violations of or even disregard for policy and decisions that at the very least, with the benefit of hindsight, were not the best choices. <gasps> what? If you needed hindsight to come to that conclusion. What? I am so shocked and surprised. <laughs> Well, of course we knew this about James Comey. He's a snake to begin with. He's a snake now. He's out there selling his book, trying to reform himself. Uh, uh, this was the most damning uh, piece of this investigation that came out yesterday. Uh, on October 5th, there was an email from James Comey to uh, James Clapper and Brennan, who were with the Obama team, National Security Advisors. Uh, talking about Russian interference, knowing that there was an investigation into how Russia was interfering with the election to help Donald Trump. Two paragraphs here. I'm going to read them verbatim. This is an email from James Comey to Brennan and Clapper. Quote, I think the window has closed on the opportunity for an official statement with four weeks until a presidential election. I think the marginal incremental disruption inoculation slash inoculation impact of the statement would be hugely outweighed by the damage to the intelligence community's reputation for independence. I could be wrong, and frequently am, but Americans already know the Russians are monkeying around on behalf of one candidate. Our confirming it adds, one, little to the mix, two, begs difficult questions about how both about both how we know that and what we are going to do about it, and three, exposes us to serious accusations of launching our own October surprise. That last bit is utterly untrue. Is, is utterly untrue, but a reality our poison a reality in our poisonous atmosphere. Take every word that he just wrote. Take every idea that he just formed there around all of that, and. Put it up against the very same standard that he used when talking about the investigation into Hillary Clinton and her emails. And if that doesn't drive you crazy, you've lost touch with reality. That's that's my take on the IG report. Screw James Comey. Uh, he's no hero. Never was. If you read his book, which I most certainly have not and will not, but I've read enough about it to know that one of the big themes among James Comey and his entire career is rules, law, upstanding, yes, doing the right thing, doing the moral thing, History. by the book. Yeah, exactly. Like following and having the sense of decorum and following protocol. That's, who, that's how he paints himself. That is how he paints himself and how he continues to paint himself when he's sitting there. It's a myth. It's a myth. It's, it's a all myth. a myth. It's like, a myth. It's a myth. It's a myth. And that's really, frankly, that's all I feel like saying about it. James Comey is a giant sack of Bad lies. potatoes. Lies. Bad lying potatoes. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say, James Comey. Come here for smart political yeah. commentary. Yeah, what else do you need? <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so I, I, I prefaced this when we first started the show and a reminder that if you don't, if you listen to us on the radio, and we're so glad that you do, you don't hear the entire part of the show. We do a little five-minute warm-up at the top of every hour. Uh, if you check out our podcast, just look for Bill Press Show and iTunes or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Uh, there's a little extra content in there. But I, I, I tease this by saying I think this is the most reprehensible thing that the, that the Trump administration and all the people that surround him are currently doing, and that is the separating of immigrant families. Now, we've talked about it this week. We've given it some attention. Uh, we have not given it the attention that it deserves. And yesterday, I think we sort of hit a critical mass with this where I could not believe where we are in this situation. First of all, here's what's happening. These are the facts. This is what we are doing. 1,000. 358 children, 1,358 children have been taken from their parents. That's what's happened. We've taken kids away from their parents in those numbers uh, because their parents tried to come across here. They were immigrants. Uh, we have, we just took their kids. What are we doing with those kids? There are, you'd be shocked to hear the defense contractors are making a ton of money off of, uh, housing these kids and taking care of those, these kids. In one of the instances, they, they've built, they've built uh, camps on military bases. One instance, they've used an abandoned Walmart where they have these kids living there in an abandoned Walmart. I, I saw someone ask, how are they taking these children? How do you just grab a child and take them away from their parents? Well, there was there are a couple of stories of mothers who were breastfeeding their children and had their children literally taken off of their breast. Right. So when somebody says, how do you grab a child and take them from their parents? This is what the Trump administration is doing. They are literally grabbing, literally grabbing, literally grabbing the children. So that's one instance. Another instance is they say to the parents, we're going to go give these kids a bath. You guys are dirty. You've been, you've traveled far. You've come across uh, un, uh, like punishing uh, lands. You need uh, to clean up a little bit. We're going to take your kids. We're going to, we're going to give them a bath. And their kids never come back. Their kids never come back. Just in case anyone needs this to be humanized a little bit more, say, I don't know if Sarah Huckabee Sanders is listening or Trump out there. Like, today my baby turns one. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, baby. I cannot imagine the pain and the worry that would accompany her being snatched from me. No. But even bigger than that, I cannot imagine her pain and worry. Yeah. Because as an adult, yeah. you have ways to cope and ways to understand. Children do not. They do not understand. There are stories of parents who have been sent back while their kids are still here, and they have to get on a video conference and video conference with their eight-month-old child. That's what we're talking about here. And by the way, the administration's been very, very clear about this. They do this because they want to deter, particularly mothers, but they want to deter families, anybody, from coming across the border, legally or illegally. They don't want them over here. This is... 
sort of an ethnic cleansing that we're trying to carry out in our own country. Uh, and it's disgusting. And yesterday, well, I should say before yesterday, there was a meeting of Catholic bishops. And they came out and they said, what we are doing here is not moral. It is not something that the Bible would agree with. This is not the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jeff Sessions, excuse me, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, a man whose first name was named after Jefferson Davis and whose middle name was named after a Confederate general, came out and said this yesterday. So there's only one way to stop it, and that's for the people to stop smuggling their children or someone else's children. Stop crossing the border illegally with children. So he blames the people crossing here illegally, saying it's their fault that they're the ones that are getting in this trouble. But then he tries to defend it. And he, to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves. Consistent, fair application of law is in itself a good and moral thing. And that protects the weak. It protects the lawful. So there's a long, uh, this is a long biblical passage, Romans, he mentioned Romans 13, right? Uh, And I pulled it up here and it just says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In other words, it's sort of saying, if there is a law, it is biblical and moral for you to follow it couple thoughts on this. <laughs> First and foremost, do you remember a couple years ago, do you remember Kim Davis, the clerk in Kentucky who said that Boy, she, was, do I. she was not going to validate any of the gay marriage, even though it was the law of the land, even though it was <clears throat> the law of the land. And you had all of the, you had that hayseed Mike Huckabee rush out there to try and capitalize on this politically and saying, no, this is a law we don't agree with, so therefore we don't uh, we don't have to uh, enforce it. Oh, but now we're going to cite the Bible about how we have to enforce the law, second of all, and way more importantly, this is not a law. This specific thing is not a Law. As a matter of fact, our buddy uh, Andrew De Sidario, uh for the Daily Beast says that lawmakers could right now solve this horror show that we're watching. It's a one-sentence bill. First of all, there is nothing that says that they have to do this. That's first and foremost. The administration is choosing to carry this out, and those fascist pigs at ICE are actually carrying it out. But there is nothing that says that they have to do it. There's nothing that says that this is what they have to do. The uh, Republicans who have a majority don't care. You can only pull away from this. The only thing you can take away from this is they like it. They agree with it. 
Democrats have demanded a. I'm reading directly from uh, Andrew Day Scenario's bill. Democrats have demanded a straightforward bill to put an end to the Justice Department's family separation directive. Republicans said the matter should be tucked in with broader changes to immigration policy. So, if I read that correctly, what that says to me is our government, the United States government, that we love and don't kneel for the flag ever, we are holding little children hostage for political purposes. That's the only way I can read it because... That's what's happening. We can also just juxtapose this. Like, if you think, well, this is just one example. I mean, look at Puerto Rico, too. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. It's awful. Mark Meadows was pressed on why lawmakers wouldn't pass a standalone bill outlawing the separation of children from their parents. And he says, quote, I'm hopeful we can get all of these other immigration policies, too, end quote. So that means a lot of different things to a lot of different politicians. Build the wall. Funding for the wall. DACA. All this stuff, right? But what they're saying flat out is we're going to hold these children hostage. We're going to kidnap these children, which there is no law that says that we have the right to do that. We're going to kidnap these children, and we're going to hold them hostage until we get some sort of immigration policy that we want. Luckily, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And yesterday... Ray, I want to play the first long clip. There's so much to unpack in this one clip, so much to unpack. But Jim Acosta asks her, isn't this immoral, what we're doing? And she tries to answer. I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, That is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. However, this, uh, hold on, Jim, if you'll let me finish. Again, I'm not going to comment on the attorney-specific comments that I haven't seen. Okay, pause right there. Pause, stop, stop the clip right there. Stop the clip right there. First and foremost, she re- she doubles down on what Sessions just said. Following the law is biblical. Go ahead. Yeah, I have something to say about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Tackled. Um, let's not forget that we are not a Christian nation. Right. Th- that, we that are is, not yes. a Christian nation. I'm, I mean this with no disrespect, but it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Yeah. I mean all disrespect. I don't care what the Bible says. It doesn't matter. We are not a Christian nation. No, we are not. That's first and foremost. And so if that's what you have to defend your uh, public policy, you've lost. Because okay. that's pretty well established. If you're afraid of Muslims infiltrating our government and introducing Sharia law, like, A, neglecting the fact that, okay, the majority of Muslims do not follow Sharia law. But also, if you're scared of someone coming into this country and implementing their religious practices into law, that is literally what you are advocating That's for. That's what you're doing. saying That's what is doing. just. Let's go on. Let's carry on with the Sarah Huckabee Sanders clip. I, I, I just, ugh. That's not what I said, and I, I know it's hard for you to understand. Stop it again. Um, Stop it again. Stop it again. First of all, how dare she? How dare she sit up there and be so condescending when she's lying. You, there's a there's a very, t- t- uh, I'll use the Trump administration's own words. There's a special place in hell for people who lie to your face and then get outraged when you call them on them, call them on their lies with facts. She's lying. It's not a law. It's not a law. It's not a law. So when someone puts that back in your face for you to act condescending and holier than thou 
and indignant. Indignant is the word I was looking for. Thank you, Ray. Please carry on. Please, please play the clip. <laughs> Even short sentences, I guess. But and please don't take my words out of context. But the separation of illegal fam alien families is the product of the same legal loopholes that Democrats refuse to close. And these laws are the same that have been on the books for over a decade. And the president nope. is simply enforcing them. Not true. To take children away from their parents. Uh, can it's you imagine a moral the policy to follow and enforce the law. When they come across the border, Jim. they're with Not their a law. parents, and then suddenly they're pulled away from their parents. Why is the government doing this? Because it's the law, and that's what the law nope. states. And the law. You guys don't have to do that. It's, it's, You're it's right. Your it doesn't have to be the law. And the president has actually called on Democrats in Congress to fix those loopholes. The Democrats have failed to come to the table, failed to help this president close these loopholes and fix this problem. We don't want this to be a problem. The president has tried to address it a number of occasions. We've laid out a proposal, and Democrats simply refuse to do their job and fix the problem. I got to tell you something. To stand up there when you're the party in power, you have the White House, the the Senate, and the House, and to blame the Democrats for not getting something done <laughs> is just rich. Bold move. It's rich. Bull. It's rich. It's something. But I don't know that anybody buys it. Like, you have the power. Don't act like you're all upset. If this is such a bad law, the Democrats have to fix it. No, it's your responsibility to fix this problem, which you created. I don't, I, I don't really know what else to say. I don't know how else to, to rationalize show this. And this farewell, everyone. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're I, done. I have That's nothing it. else to say. <laughs> Bye. No, I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. They're doing this. They're making the decision. And the best that they can do is not stand up and defend it, which there is no defense for, but they can't defend it. They're throwing it back onto the face and the and the lap of the party that has no power right now. I just cannot even begin to understand what's happening. Brian Karam who is a reporter that's in the uh, briefing rooms. He's a freelance reporter, I believe. I know he writes for Playboy, uh, which, hey, I've been reading Playboy for the articles for a long time. But Brian Karam, he actually, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders tried to move on, he, he lost it. And he told her exactly, like, laws aside, even though we've already established that this is not a freaking law, all that aside, Brian Karam says, this is not who we are as a country. Don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah, you're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less Brian, than you do. Guys, Sarah, come on. Settle down. Seriously. Settle down. Seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you get a lot of terms. Jill, please call. It's a law, and, and they have, these people have nothing. They hey, Brian, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that. not what it's this not is about. about I want to recognize you. Question, go ahead, Sarah. Jill. Honestly, answer the question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing. And you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? Children. And she sits there. She doesn't answer. She goes to another reporter, and the other reporter asks the question. Doesn't follow up. How do you, as a White House reporter, sit there, listen to that, and not cede your time? 
You don't even have to be a parent to understand no. the atrocity no. of this. Okay, look, no. people put their dogs in cages and they hire dog sitters to come walk them. Like, right. you are treating a human worse than a animal. But, like, how, how do you hear that argument from that reporter and a real honest question, a push to Sarah Huckabee Sanders to say, defend this, answer this. This is not who we are as a country. How do you as a reporter hear that, have her ignore, completely ignore the question, and then ask a question about something else? How do you not say, you know what, Sarah? He actually makes a good point, and I think you should answer that. If you're not a reporter willing to do that in the briefing room, get the hell out. Because she'll find cover. She'll use you, even if you're a good reporter otherwise. She'll use you as cover to get away from from hard questions. Couple of things I want to end on here. This Bible passage, which you're going to hear a lot about today, Romans 13. In the Washington Post this morning, WashingtonPost.com, they write about this. They spoke to John Fay who is a professor of American history at Messiah College in Pennsylvania. We have heard this phrase before. We have heard Romans 13 be invoked before. In fact, John says in this piece, quote, there are two dominant places in American history when Romans 13 is invoked. One is during the American Revolution when it was invoked by loyalists, those who opposed the American Revolution. And that turned out pretty well. But they they hid behind Romans 13 and said, no, 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 no. This is the law. Like it or not, you've got to obey the law. Which, again, gets back to your point, we're not a Christian nation. (laughs) But even still, if that's their argument, that's what they're hiding behind. The other time, according to John Fay, professor of American history at Messiah College in Pennsylvania, he says, quote, the other time is in the 1840s and 1850s. Hmm. What was going on at that time? Romans 13 was invoked by defenders of the South or defenders of slavery to ward off abolitionists who believed that slavery was wrong. This is the same argument that Southern slaveholders and the advocates of a Southern way of life made. We have our own laws here. We are allowed to enforce them. You can't come down here and tell us what to do. We're allowed to keep these humans as property. And here we are now in 2018, and we're doing the same thing. And why? What's the point? Are we safer? Do you feel safer? Do you feel proud to be an American? Do you feel like this is the best use of the government's time and resources to take eight-month-old children rip them off of their mother's breast and put them in a dog cage in an abandoned Walmart to never see their parents again? Is that what you voted for? Is that what you want? Democrats, Republicans, everybody should be not just outraged. Outreach outreach is actually too weak of a word. You should be sickened. You should be disgusted. 
You should want to feel the vomit rising up in the back of your throat every time you hear the name Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions. That's what you should feel. Oh, and by the way, Romans 13, if you read a little bit farther down past the whole, you must obey the law no matter what the law is. If you read a little bit farther down to Romans 13, 10, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That is from the Bible. Now, I don't hear that quote anywhere. I don't see Jeff Sessions yelling about that quote. I don't see Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about how we love our neighbors down south and how that alone, if we're going to source the Bible, is the law. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. I would genuinely love to hear your comments about this because it does feel bleak and it does feel hopeless. But, like, this is a moment for us as a country. Who are we? Starting to get the impression we are pretty bad. Find us on Twitter, BP Show, or Peter Ogburn, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Indeed it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. Say, my goodness, I am worked up after the last segment. I'm going to calm down a little bit. Thank you for your comments on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Just a couple of different comments. So we, we talked a lot about the uh, uh, the immigration policy that the Trump administration is um, is uh, putting out there. Uh, Maria Soto Jason says this is shameful. This is worse than any third world country. Republicans need to stand up and do their job. We're doing exactly the opposite of what our country stands for. Joey says, "How the hell can people ever be proud of the United States again?" We'll get there. Uh, and Jess says, talking points from the right, all lives matter, life is sacred, defend life at all costs. This clearly does not match up to what this administration is doing to the families that come to our borders seeking asylum. Uh, would like to hear your comments at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, but meanwhile, we are going to switch gears because it's been a, been a big week politically. Uh There were some primaries this week. We're getting up to midterms. It's like we're in full froth political season. Joining us is Senate campaigns reporter at Politico, James Arkin. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at James Arkin, A-R-K-I-N. Hey, James, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on here. First visit of the show, right? It is indeed. It's going to be a fun ride. (laughs) I promise I'm going to be a lot, a little less animated than the last (laughs) segment. Um, But there is is some stuff to talk about this week. Uh, I I first of all want to start... Uh, with just a general question, because this is what we talk about all the time. Uh, <clears throat> most people agree that the uh, chance of the Democrats taking back the House look decent. Not amazing, but decent. But the Senate is a harder road for Democrats. Uh, you are a Senate campaigns reporter. Where do we stand now? How does that look for Democrats? Uh, it certainly looks better than it did maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago. But, uh, I, you know, Republicans are still the heavy favorite. Democrats still need to sort of draw an inside straight uh, to be able to take it back. Uh, essentially, they're 
challenging Republicans in three seats. Okay. Uh, Republicans are challenging Democratic incumbents in 10 seats that the president won. And Democrats are going to have to defend all of those and win two of the three if they're going to take back the majority. So pretty tough path. Let's focus, first of all, <clears throat> on the the 10 that they have to defend. All 10 of those are in districts that the president won? Yeah. To, wow. States, yes. States, uh, states, to, I mean, states, To varying degrees. Yeah, I mean, some like North sure. Dakota, West Virginia, he won by huge margins. Some Wisconsin, Michigan, pretty slim margins. So there's, there's some variation there. But, yep, 10 states he won, Democratic senators. So I, I can see see a takeaway here would be how popular is the president still right like if he won by a little bit in some of these states could he hang on to that same constituency um i'm not so sure about that i think we've seen some approval numbers that the president might not love i mean although they have gone up a little bit but i, I just politics a little time lot can change um so talk to us about some of those 10 states, because those are the ones I kind of want to focus on. Who are we looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, you look at let's we'll start with the ones that are going to be toughest for Democrats. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so like North Dakota, you have Congressman Kevin Kramer is challenging Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp state. The president won overwhelmingly. Yeah. It's going to be a really tough race. It's it's a I mean, he won the state by almost 40 points. It's a very Republican state. Holy crap. Uh, I mean, this one's been really interesting because Politico has done some reporting. Some of my colleagues have done some reporting that. Uh, President Trump has actually, you know, maybe not attacked Heidi Heitkamp the way he has some other Democrats. He had her at a bill signing. Yeah. Uh, he said some nice things about her. Kevin Kramer was complaining, was was very frustrated by uh, some of the, you know, the the things that the White House was doing to help Heitkamp. He sent out a tweet this week after Kramer won what was essentially an uncontested primary, you know, saying, congratulations, Kevin Kramer. We're fully behind you. Heidi yeah. Heitkamp doesn't vote. So Kevin Kramer got, got the tweet. Uh, he has the endorsement of the president. But... Uh, there have been some good things for Heidi Heitkamp in that in that race. Uh, you know, obviously she's running, saying I, I'm willing to work with the president, uh, but also willing to stand up against him when necessary. And and that's kind of a similar message we're seeing from these Democrats across the board. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I that's one of those that Heidi Heitkamp I know gets a bad. I, I don't mean this in a negative or positive way. I think a lot of Democrats are sort of like, ugh, because she is a conservative light. Uh, but then again. Maybe that's what you need to be to win in a state like that. I don't think that, but a lot of people do. So even still, like, I don't know that it's a slam dunk that someone can take her down just because she's got a D behind her name. Uh, what are some of the other ones you're looking at? Yeah, uh, West Virginia, Joe Manchin is obviously a very, very interesting race. He's facing the state's attorney general, uh, Patrick Morrissey. And uh, again, it's another one. The president won it overwhelmingly. Uh, Joe Manchin is, you know, talking about trying to work with President Trump. Yeah. You know, it's it's another state where it's a conservative Democrat, one that doesn't really toe the party line. Uh, it's really hard to beat a Democrat like that, even in the state that the president won by about 40 percentage points. So, you know, I've, I've talked about West Virginia on this show before because you don't have to go back very far to see that West Virginia is as was as lefty as you could get. For a lot of different reasons, right? You got the coal mine stuff. You had a lot of people who, who like, built on unions, right? Like, the, the coal miners needed that stuff or else they were literally dying. Uh, and so, like, there's a lot of lefty politics that have done really, really, really lefty politicians have done really, really, really well in West Virginia. And so, like, it, just from a political standpoint, 
it's curious to me that there hasn't been a progress, like a really progressive candidate emerge out of West Virginia recently. Yeah. That Joe Manchin feels like he has to run as essentially as a Republican. Well, I think the thing you got to remember about West Virginia is a lot of those voters who voted for President Trump in 2016 that helped him win the state so much are registered Democrats. I mean, they just, they registered as Democrats, you know, as you said, it's got a Democratic history. Yeah. That doesn't really matter to them. Well, you know, the registration isn't a big deal. They're supporters of the president. Overwhelmingly, he's he's still very, very popular in West Virginia. So these are Democrats who supported Joe Manchin, who supported President Trump. Independents the same. Republicans the same. That's that's what Manchin is counting on. Yeah. Is kind of having a, a broad swath of the of the population across party lines. Um, I, I think Manchin probably wins that. He seems to be a little bit of a favorite. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I mean, there's been there's been some so. internal polling that suggests that he's up a little bit. Republicans are extremely confident they're going to be able to defeat him. Uh, and they're hoping President Trump is going to make a bunch of trips to the state and, you know, really go after Manchin and really try and tear down this idea that Manchin is willing to work with Trump. And we'll see how effective that is. The president's going to be a weapon to yield in that campaign. But uh, Joe Manchin looking like he's in decent shape right now. Okay, so I, I'm 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 sort of keeping score here. I think High Camp <laughs> wins. I think Mansion wins. So that's two. What else are we looking at? So let me give you the two that I think are probably the toughest for Democrats. Uh, that's going to be Indiana and Missouri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe okay. Donnelly in Indiana, Claire McCaskill in Missouri. These are two states. You know, unlike North Dakota, West Virginia, Montana, some of the other ones that voted overwhelmingly for, for Trump, these are states that have just shifted to the right. They, yeah. These are conservative states that the president won overwhelmingly. Uh, you know, both McCaskill and Donnelly benefited in 2012 when they won last time from some some uh, really poor opponents who kind of stepped on their own message in, in some really problematic ways. Uh, you know, Republicans like to call Joe Donnelly the accidental senator uh, for, for that reason, which uh, <laughs> you Don- love to have that title. Donnelly's folks really, really uh, hate that. They, they think <laughs> that really, so. uh, you know, doesn't take into account how good a politician he is uh, for kind of towing the moderation and, and the centrist. Uh, no matter what, it's going to be tough races for both of these. Uh, McCaskill's facing Attorney General Josh Hawley. Uh, there have been some criticisms about, uh, you know, his campaign, maybe not, you know, him not working necessarily as hard as he should be, not raising enough money, but it's going to be a really tough race for McCaskill. And on Donnelly's side, he's facing a, a businessman, Mike Braun, who beat two congressmen in a, a pretty nasty primary, um, you know, running on a sort of outsider Trump-like yeah. message. And that's going to be a tough race. Um I will say Joe Donnelly loses his race. Claire McCaskill wins hers. And, I, and I'll say why. And I'm not saying, like, I, I'm i not a huge, like, Claire McCaskill fan. But that is the luckiest person in politics. In the sense that, like you mentioned, she had the Todd Aiken situation the yep. first time around. And now this time she's running against an attorney general who is tied to the governor who had to step down for some really nasty stuff. Yep. And, like, I don't want to be too craven about it, but, like, that's not hard to run against. It, Republicans were really worried about that uh, a month ago. But, they should be. But after the governor stepped down, it's, yeah. it's going to be an interesting test case because Republicans are convinced that by the time November rolls around— People are going to forget about tying Hawley to Greitens, and yeah. it's going to be about McCaskill's record. Democrats are convinced that the the, the Greitens scandal is going to linger for months, that, that Hawley is going to continue to be tied to it. It's a, it's a test case. I mean, I, I don't know which side is right, but they yeah. both clearly think that it's going to go one way or the other way, and, and McCaskill's future kind of depends on which way that goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's going to be really interesting to see if it sticks. Um, but I think... It will stick enough. I think you've got a, just like enough factors that are sort of coming together 
that that might stick. Okay, so that's that's four that we've talked about now. Uh, what are some other ones out there? So Montana would be the fifth that the president won. I know, the, I, I know this one for sure. John Tester's going to win that race. You think so? John Tester's going to win that race. Uh, Democrats seem pretty confident but, in John but Tester, walk, too. Walk, so. But walk us through it. Yeah, I, didn't well, mean, I didn't mean to jump <laughs> on, you, on your story there. <laughs> he's, he's facing the state auditor, Matt Rosendale. Uh, not Republicans' first pick for the for the seat. Obviously, Republicans' uh, first hope for the seat is sitting in, in Donald Trump's cabinet, Ryan Zinke, the former congressman, right. which was a little bit of a problem for Republicans. Uh, the state's attorney general also passed on the race uh, so Democrats feel like they're facing not a top-tier candidate, but uh, President Trump seems personally set on defeating John Tester because of what happened with with his uh, VA nomination and, and Tester's uh, work investigating all of that. And, and so uh, the president and his allies seem just personally set on making this a race, and that'll be an interesting test of how much influence he has. It just it boggles the mind. John Tester was right on this. That's a case he wins. If he goes back to Montana and he goes, hey, call me old-fashioned. I don't think that we should have this guy running the VA who has these problems, handing out prescription pills to people willy-nilly, and you called him the candy man, had a drinking problem at work. Uh, I think you can go back and you can defend that. You can say, like, yeah, guys, it's my job to stop people like that from getting into public office. I feel fine about that. You don't want to vote for me because of it? Bye. I think he wins that. I think I think that's a slam dunk for Tester. That's that's exactly what he said. Essentially, this was my job. I the people brought these allegations forward. We investigated them. We released the allegations. We'll see if that message works. See how smart I am. Make me senator of Montana. <laughs> what else is out there? Uh, well, so then let's look at some of the states that are going to be a little tougher for Republicans that have Democratic incumbents. Yeah, yeah, Play- yeah. So I'll, I'll list a, a few of them in a row. Uh, you got Sherrod Brown in Ohio. He wins. You, you have uh, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania. He's going to win. Debbie Stabenow in Michigan. She will also win. Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. These are four. Slam dunk. I don't. I, so Republicans would say, I, I think Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Those are three really tough ones for Republicans. Those yeah. senators are really well known. Polling has shown that they're they're doing pretty well in their races. Wisconsin is a little bit less certain. Tammy Baldwin a little bit less known, a little less yeah, established sure. than the other ones. Uh, but obviously not a state that the president won by a lot, and what? they're still sorting through a primary on the Republican uh, side. I, I forgot the guy's name, the Republican in uh, a nominee in um, Pennsylvania. Lou Barletta. Lou Barletta. I yep. saw some numbers that had him down by like 30 points yesterday. Uh, I think it was 17, but he had like 27% in yeah. the polls. It was 44-27 like or something. It was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. And I don't know. I mean, he's one of those guys that was pretty closely tied to Trump, if I'm not mistaken. Like he's he was the president's uh, one of his earliest endorsers. Yeah. You know, he's he when he was uh, a mayor of a, a town in Pennsylvania, he was kind of early on the uh, you know uh, talking about illegal immigration and making that an issue. Uh, very much in the Trump mold. Very big supporter of the president. Kind of really staking his his uh, you know election on. President Trump having won Pennsylvania and kind of going the same route there. It's it's going to be a tough path for him. Yeah, it's it's funny to me. It's not funny, but it's interesting to me how, you know, like you look at some of the some states, right? Like West Virginia, um, uh, Alabama. Even though there's not a, a race there, but like you look at some of these states that really do still feel like Donald Trump is doing the job. That he was elected to do. They're still very highly, very, very popular. Donald Trump is still very popular in these states. But a state like Pennsylvania or Ohio, I think that buyer's remorse might be one way to sort of put it out there. Like, I know a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and I'd say probably over half of them are now like, eh, we were wrong. 
Like we were wrong. Like this is not what we voted for. That's not going to be the case for everybody, clearly. But I think in a state like Pennsylvania, um, that's just going to that he's going to run away with this, Casey. I think he's going to run away with that election. Same with Sherrod Brown. Right, and that's what these Democrats. It's 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 a combination of that, and also the fact that some of the people who voted for President Trump in these states probably have voted in the past for these Democrats for Senate. Yeah, sure. And they're counting on just these both these voters who supported them in the past. And hoping that there is some buyer's remorse from some of the president's supporters, that maybe some of the Republican base stays home. It's it's a combination of things that are making Democrats feel pretty confident in, in states like Ohio and Pennsylvania. But, I mean, absolutely, they're, they're hoping that, that some of the independents or the moderates who might have supported President Trump in 2016 yeah. aren't going to be there for Republicans. So by my count, we've gone through nine different races. What is there one still out there? Uh, there is one still out there. It's slipping my mind right that's now, right, That's right. That's right. No worries. Uh, so how, how many do Democrats have to win to get back the majority? Uh, of those, they're going to need to defend all 10, essentially. Wow. That's the thing. If, they, if, if a single incumbent loses, Democrats would have to sweep three Republican-leaning states, or, or excuse me, three states where they're running against uh, Republican senators or that are Republican-held states. That's going to be a hard path. So they got to defend all, all 10, essentially, which is going to be tough. That's tough. That's tough because I'm like I'm already ready to say like I don't think Joe Donnelly wins that race, and I think there are others that are definitely going to be squeakers. Well, there you go. If that's the case, then Democrats have almost no path to the majority. Yeah. Um, gosh, man, it's I mean it's it's crazy. And the House is I think is a little bit of a different story. I think the House goes. Uh, uh, for Democrats. Well, that's sort of the story of the whole Senate cycle for Republicans. I mean, given the president's approval ratings, uh, you know, given the energy that we see from Democrats, Republicans are extremely lucky with the map that they have. Sure. I mean, if we were looking at a, a map with more purple states, if we were looking at places that President Trump didn't win, uh, you know, Republicans have a 51-49 majority. Yeah. You know, if they if they didn't have this map uh, that they were that they were running on, they would be in real trouble. Yeah. So they they're very lucky the states that they're running on and it's still not a, a done deal. I want to talk to you about some of the issues that we're seeing around the country uh, in these midterms. You wrote a piece um, uh, yesterday about the trade war, because this week, as with all weeks these days, it's never-ending supply of news, and I guess it was the end of last week, it carried over into this week, about the trade war that we have now begun with our closest allies. Um even you know Bob Corker lost lost his mind on the floor of the uh, uh, Senate earlier this week, saying that there is this cultish devotion, his words, cultish devotion to to Donald Trump and the Republican Party. So you wrote about how the trade war that we have now entered in with our good friends in Canada are playing into the in, into the midterms. Yeah, and uh, so let me break it down very simply. Uh, a couple of the states that we talked about there. Uh, North Dakota, uh, it, you know, being one of them, that's kind of the maybe the main example. Um, it, it's a Missouri, another. It's a pretty simple calculation. Democrats are saying this is a bad thing. These tariffs are going to, you know, uh, hurt farmers, uh, hurt consumers in our states. It's going to have a really negative impact on the economy of our states. This is bad for our constituents. And the Republican candidates are essentially siding with President Trump and saying. We've been getting a raw deal for a long time. Yeah. Let's let's give the president the space to negotiate. They're not ideologically huge fans of tariffs. They you know they support sure. free trade, uh, but they're they're willing to give him the room to negotiate, hoping that he can pull something together that's better for their constituents. So it's a, it's a pretty stark divide. Democrats saying for the most part, it's it's not universal, obviously, but for the most part, 
these tariffs are a bad idea and Republicans saying, give give the president the room that he needs to negotiate this. I mean, it, it's a here's the here's my fear in all of this. Right. For as someone who would like to see Democrats pick up more. I'm not saying that you're biased in that way. This is me speaking. Um, it's a fairly nuanced issue. Tariffs, And it's not something that we talk about a lot as a society. It's just not something that, like, your average working Joe or Jane uh, sits home, sits down at dinner and and talks about with the family. So, like, that's kind of a tough one. But at the same time, I think you could make the argument that, like, America first, fine. You agree with the Donald Trump America first or as one Trump worker put it earlier this week – we're America, bitch. If you agree with that, whatever. But you do have to concede that, like, it would be probably in our best interest to have some allies, specifically ones that are in close proximity to us, like Canada. Um, so that, I mean, it just depends on how Democrats package this and how they sell it. And I, frankly, don't have the best confidence into the Democratic Party, but like they could do it. They could turn this around. It, it also depends on the impact, too, because, I, I mean, Democrats are talking about having a negative economic impact on their constituents and on their voters. Uh, you know, if, if voters don't feel it in their pocketbooks, you know, they might not like tariffs. They might think that this is a bad idea. But, you know, most voters aren't going to be paying attention to that very closely. Like you said, it's not it's a complicated issue. It's not something individual people are following super closely. Yeah. They're not feeling it when they're going to the grocery store and paying for milk or, right. you know, other things like that. Then it's going to be a really tough case to make. I think that's right. I think that's right. I want to ask you another question. This is sort of a curveball, but uh, there is a sort of a movement uh, within the Democratic Party to run on impeachment. We want to impeach Donald Trump. Have you seen any of the candidates sort of like wade into those waters a little bit? On the Senate side? Yeah, the Senate side. No, no not at all. They're not going no, there. No, they're not, they're not going, going there. Yeah. I, they, and I, I think Democratic leadership would be uh, very, very frustrated to see them going there. That's just, it's, it's such a divisive thing. They're counting on moderates. They're counting on independents. They're counting on some Republicans to vote for them. Uh, they're just, it's not an issue that they want to talk about at all. I think all. that's probably right. Absolutely. I think if that's the, probably I, I think right. if you had a Democrat running in a state like North Dakota, Missouri, Ohio, yeah, even yeah. Pennsylvania sure. on impeachment, huge problem. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. Uh, so what are some of the issues? Are you seeing a common thread? I mean, the, the Democratic Party, have they really sort of like tried to focus in on a couple of different attacks? I, or is it really just like a like a local I mean, it's, race by race? By it's race. local race by race, yeah. sure. But I think the common threads are two things. They're They're talking about they don't like the Republican tax bill. They think it favored the wealthy and favored corporations too much. They say it wasn't enough for the middle class. And they're talking about health care and, yeah. and health care prices. Uh, those are the two common threads. That's, I mean, particularly in the House. Like the House and Senate are a little bit of a different animal in, in this cycle. But I think the, the most common thread is any Democrat running for office, any Democrat working on a campaign who cares about Congress and, you know, trying to retake these majorities, health care. That's what they want to talk about. So, I, final question. We've got a minute and a half, about a minute and a half left. Uh, and I know that this isn't Senate, uh, but Mark Sanford lost uh, in in his primary earlier this week in South Carolina to Katie Arrington. There's been a lot made about this because Mark Sanford came out and dare say some negative things about Donald Trump. Um, is there a lesson to be learned from that, or was that just a sort of 
anomaly and that Mark Sanford got painted as the establishment because he's been in this town for a while now? Or is that something that Republicans cannot run against or say anything negative about Donald Trump? Uh, the latter. He's Mark Sanford did not get painted as an establishment figure. Mm -hmm. He got painted as someone who spoke out against President Trump. I mean, we saw the same thing in Alabama with Congresswoman Marsha Roby. Sure. She said some things in 2016 uh, about President Trump. She's been a pretty you know, supportive of him during his time in the White House and still is facing a primary runoff, couldn't win her primary because of the comments about Trump. It's I mean, you quoted Bob Cork earlier, a cult of Trump. Yeah. That's what Republican primary voters are thinking right now when they're going to the polls. It's fascinating, man. It really is. And uh, TikTok, because it's coming, like it or not, the elections are coming up here really, really soon. I really appreciate your time. James Arkin, uh, he is the Senate campaign reporter at Politico. You can follow him on Twitter at James Arkin, A-R-K-I-N, and read his good work at Politico. Dot com. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me First on. time here. I hope Absolutely. you come back again yeah, soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. I, I haven't soon. been scared off. <laughs> All right, excellent, excellent. Stay tuned, everybody. Adam Smith is going to be joining us next, communications director at Every Voice. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to hell, where we broadcast live every day from our little studio. Very well insulated, by the way. Uh, my name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on a Friday, June 15th. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can follow me on Twitter, Ogburn, at Peter Ogburn, but I would follow the show account first. I don't tweet that much anymore. I used to tweet way too much, but I don't, I don't tweet so much anymore. Uh, I'll tell you who you absolutely should follow on Twitter. Uh, not Ray Rogers, who has a secret Twitter account <laughs> that we that, that we. I don't... still have an egg profile picture. Yeah, yeah. If you could find her, kudos. Uh, what I think you should follow is Adam Smith, communications director at Every Voice. Uh, he's on Twitter at asmith83. Adam, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. We joked earlier that I booked you like three days ago. Yeah. And in the three days since it's been <laughs> since I booked you, we've got like totally new stuff to talk Th that's about. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It just, it just, that's just how it happens. Like, we should just start booking you like months in advance or yeah. weeks in advance yeah. because like you'll always have something to talk about. That's right. Every Friday I can provide your corruption update. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what I'm saying. State of the grifter with Adam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. 
Uh, we are on Twitter at BP Show. I do want to read a couple of your comments. Uh, I I went on a, uh, a a rant. It's been described as a rant uh, earlier this morning about the immigration policy that Jefferson Beauregard Sessions is choosing to enforce. It is not the law. They are choosing to enforce this. Uh, Linda says, Peter, thank you for your rant about the children being ripped from their parents. Where is the outrage? Are we any different than Germans who stood by and did nothing? I agree that as a country at this time in our history, we are pretty bad. We have lost our moral compass. Um, You will sense a theme here. As Amy Kelly says, the Nazis used to take kids from their parents in the concentration camps to shower them or bathe them uh, and then never return the kids. That's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, oh, we'll take your kids. We're going to give them a bath and then never bring them back. So we are doing the same thing. Romaine, my man Romaine in Chicago uh, says, remember when they used to separate slave families also? Yes. Yes, that is also true. Uh, and my buddy Ray Steele says, wow, Billy Gibbons is hosting the show today. Hey, that's a ZZ Top reference, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I've got to get a beard trim. Yeah. It's gotten a little. Oh, Adam just says, yeah. No. Well, I, so <laughs> my, okay, my right. dad's beard is like down to down really? here, down to like his, his chest. So. I don't think I can go that low with it. Yeah. I, I started growing it. And then I, it, I've gotten it trimmed several times to yeah. get the flyaways. I think it looks nice. There are a lot Go of on. people. Is, no, really. There are a lot of people that come in and they're like, Peter, what happened to your beard? I, I get a lot of comments. Good. I think as long as you, yeah, as long as you keep it trimmed like you're doing yeah. and doesn't look messy, I think it's probably fine. Yeah. I just keep it th- this number. Yeah. If it gets too burly out on the side, it's just bad. Cause do you my use head oil or anything? I do. I, yeah. I, I make a, a mixture of fresh citrus and Jehovah oil that I use on it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> looks nice. Bless your heart. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Why are you laughing? Why, why are you laughing? And I just... Okay, I, because does Adam know this whole running theme no. of every time that Peter hosts, we end up learning a little bit more about Peter's, like, self-care ritual, and I just love it. Listen, I think it's important. Okay. It's, it's totally important. Tell yeah. him about the garb that you wear while putting the oil in your beard. All right. You, are you talking about my sarong? Yes. All right. I have an announcement to make, by the way. The sarong... It's retired? It's no. retired. Last year was the summer of the sarong. This year, tanks and jorts. Tanks and jorts. <laughs> the man romper. What are those things called? The man, yeah, the, uh, the, the romp him. The romp him. Can I always want one to try one of those on. Oh, it's my gosh. No they're me. selling them very affordably at Target right now, it's Adam. A, so really? this could be your thing. This it's going to be a no for me. Of romp him. It's going to be a no for me. I'm not going to do the romp him. I'll stick with I'll stick with uh, uh, tanks and jorts yeah. for the summer. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big tanks and jorts guy, too. Yeah, I'm with it. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. It is the Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Just a couple quick shopkeeping notes. Uh, Don't forget to go and get our podcast. It's actually really, really important because uh, we know you can't listen to the whole show. Not everybody can listen to to both hours of the show. Uh, So we put it up there. Free from commercial, we put it up on iTunes, just look for The Bill Press Show, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or just check out our website, 
uh, just check that out. It's uh, BillPressShow.com. We have it up there. If you don't want to download it, you can stream it there on on our uh, on our web player. Uh, but if you want to download it, take it with you on the plane, to the gym, whatever you want to do, check it out. It's also important to remember that if you're watching us on Free Speech TV or you're listening to us on your favorite progressive radio station, you don't hear the entire show. We do a little, we do a couple minutes before every hour where we get to talk about things like my beauty regimen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just had a very enlightening short conversation about fashion and self care. I just, by the way, McKenna, who is who is here uh, as as one of our <laughs> assistant producers, yesterday I I let her know. I enlightened her. I switch from lotion to serum mm. in the summer. I use the serums in the summer because mm. they're not as they're not as yeah, cloying. Yeah. And no, lovely. I mean I put on some eye cream this morning before I came. So I- eye cream is eye cream is eye cream, and that's okay no yeah. matter what season. Serum though for the whole face. Oh, interesting. So nice for the summer. Mm. I got some if you want some. Oh, maybe you got some sun too. We both got some sun. Let's yeah, see if you get a little sun. Yeah, yeah. Summer's out, baby. It was Pride last Summer's weekend. Here, I was out and about. There you go. That's yeah. it. Yes. Summer's here, baby. Let's uh let let let's get that let's get that base tan going. Let's get all of this happiness and throw it out the window. <laughs> and let's talk about the horrible, horrible state of affairs here in America. So, Adam, when I first asked you to come on, yeah, I wanted to talk about the fact that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump have made unspeakable amounts of money. Yeah, while they both work in the White House. Uh. Is that legal? Uh, We're talking about like eighty something millions of dollars at least. Yeah, I mean they made they came to an agreement with the Office of Government Ethics. Every like senior employee has to come to this this ethics agreement. They 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 uh, technically are not running the companies um, and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's perfect. I know legal. you didn't do air quotes, but I could hear the air quotes. Yeah, in your voice. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not. It doesn't look good. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Ivanka made something something like. Uh, three or four million dollars off of Trump's DC hotel, a hotel that lobbyists and foreign governments are using to like butter up the administration is super corrupt. Yeah. But that makes it, but it's completely legal. Well, it's, it's, it, it, you know, we've talked to you about this since the day he was elected or yeah. the day that he came into office anyway. And this is something that's been something that you've talked about. Yeah. And now we're seeing, like, this is actually kind of dangerous. Like, this is not good. Everything we said would happen in, like, December 2017 or December 2016 has, like, been proven true. Yes. They are as corrupt as we all said they would be, and uh, they're just completely abusing the office for personal gain. And that's why I think this is so important. This needs to be highlighted. I think it's uh, Democrats got made fun of a little bit because they were sort of re-adopting the culture of corruption yeah. mantle that they used a couple years ago with great success. I, I would argue there has never been a bigger culture of yeah. corruption than we are seeing right this moment. I think that's right. I mean, even like just this morning as I was coming here, I was reading this story about how Scott Pruitt is rolling back some of these rules. So there's this water rule um, around how people, um, what you can use, what you can put in streams and that sort of thing. And the, Scott Pruitt's going to rework it. To You know who's going to benefit from this water rule? I don't think uh, Golf on. courses. Who owns golf courses? Yeah. You know, and so yeah. the thing is, it's not just that they're personally profiting. It's that like, we're attacking our air and water to like boost the profits of Trump. So this is I don't want to spend too much time going yeah, back yeah, yeah. to my earlier rant where I was ranting about the immigration stuff, but like the Republicans are knowingly choosing to allow a law that doesn't exist to be enforced. 
This whole thing of ripping children away from yeah. their families is not an effing law. And if there's one thing that you take away from today's show, let it be that. That is not a law. But the Republicans are allowing it to happen. Yeah. So if they're allowing it to happen with that, just imagine what they'll allow Trump to get away with. To your point, rolling back important environmental re- re- regulations. Why? So that he can make more money. Yeah, there's just no accountability. I mean, the thing is, they there there should be they should be having hearings on this stuff on you know foreign governments spending money at Trump's hotel. They should be investigating this, and they're not. And everything we've seen, when you see like the private documents, when you see what's coming out about the foundation, all that stuff, every everything they do is against the rules. So you can imagine what they're doing that we don't even know about. Yeah, yeah, um, you know. I, it's amazing that we're going to do a segment here on corruption, and Scott Pruitt uh, was not the highlight. I know. Of what he we're always going fits in about. somewhere, though. Somewhere, though. I appreciate yeah, that because like, yeah. there is a lot of room for <laughs> corruption over there at the EPA. Uh, does Scott Pruitt survive this? So the thing is, what he's doing today or this week, these rolling back things, is why he survives it. I mean, the thing is, when members of Congress like Chuck Grassley or Joni Ernst criticize Scott Pruitt, they don't care. They're not criticizing him for his policy. They're criticizing right. him because it looks bad. It looks bad. Right? So the Scott Pruitt will be replaced by a coal lobbyist who doesn't believe that humans cause climate change. And they're going to love him because he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to do all these corrupt things. <sighs> Sorry, I'm such a <laughs> good morning. No, 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 no. I, I mean, this is, yeah. trust me, it, it, I mean, this, this is a bleak show. I warned everybody from the outset <laughs> this is going to get dark. Yeah. This is a dark ride, folks. Happy weekend. Yeah. Happy Friday. Friday. Everything's fine. <laughs> Friday. Cue up, up the Rebecca Black Friday song so that we can like, at least have. Oh. I'm the girl that's riding in the back who's sort of awkwardly <laughs> smiling. That's me. That's me. I'm the mom handing the lunches. Oh, yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. All right. All right. I, I do want to – I'm sort of jumping around a lot yeah. because there's just so goddamn much to talk about. But the Jared and Ivanka stuff, um, you talk about why it's obvious that there is a conflict in what yeah. they're doing. But is there anything or anyone that would be able to stand in the way and say, hey, wait a minute. Uh no, not awesome. really. Awesome. You know, the, but what we're, I, I will Great. say, what we're seeing with this administration is a lot of things that govern ethics in like the executive branch or in Washington is like norms, right? Things that we have just always done because it's the right thing to do. And what this administration shows is we need to actually codify some of these norms and make them actual rules, actual laws. Yeah. And that starts with um, the president and his senior staff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the other part of this, I think, is even if it is something that could be investigated or a lawsuit could be brought, like, it takes a while. But yeah. the emolument stuff that we've talked about with you yeah. in the past is finally going to get its day in court in um, uh, in Maryland. Yeah. And, like, that's just now come around. I mean, yeah, I mean, they haven't they just— for a year and a half now. They had, it like, a, a there's a hearing, like, last week around the— whether the case should even happen. Yeah. And so then that the judge will rule in late July whether the case can move forward to the evidence gathering phase. And so there's there's still a lot. Yeah, this stuff takes a while. Yeah, it, it hasn't I mean the, the the trial has not started, yeah. but the lawsuit does yeah. continue. It's yeah. been allowed to continue, yeah. which is I mean, what happens Somewhat is encouraging. Congress isn't doing its oversight job. Right. Its job is to look over the executive branch and make sure it's not breaking the rules or doing bad things, and it's just not willing to do it. Yeah. 
God. Okay, so breaking news, the Trump family is corrupt. Uh, Yesterday, the New York Attorney General said that Donald Trump's charitable foundation, along with its directors, the president, his sons, Eric and Donald Jr., and daughter Ivanka, they, uh, the New York Attorney General says that they violated state and federal charities law. Yeah. I want to read directly from CNN.com <laughs> who wrote about this because this is wild. Attorney General Barbara Underwood alleges a pattern of persistent illegal conduct over more than a decade. Excuse me? A decade? That includes extensive unlawful political coordination with the Trump presidential campaign. She said, quote, as our investigation reveals, the Trump Foundation was little more than a checkbook for payments for Mr. Trump or his business to nonprofits, regardless of their purpose or legality. The attorney general is asking a court to dissolve the Trump Foundation and wants $2.8 million in restitution plus additional penalties. She also seeks to ban Trump from serving as director of a New York not-for-profit for for 10 years and the the remaining board members, Ivanka, Don Jr., and Eric Trump, from serving for another year until they receive fiduciary training. Yeah. To which Don Jr. thought that he was being... Never mind. Uh, (laughs) Donald Donald Trump Jr. puts the douche in fiduciary, folks. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But basically what this comes down to is the suit alleges that the Trump Foundation... Engaged in uh, repeated and willful self-dealing transactions to benefit Trump's personal and business interests. If I think, I think I got that right. That's right. They looked at the rules for running a charity and said, "Let's break all of them." I mean, it. You have to w- try to break these rules. Anyone who goes through the trouble of setting up a charity knows two things. You can't use it for self-dealing, and you can't use a charity for political purposes. Yeah. And they did both of them. Both. They This is willfully corrupt. They knew what they were doing was wrong. I mean... <sighs> and, I mean, it's wild. Some of the things in there I was looking at, and I was like, this is bonkers. That email from Corey Lewandowski, who was at the Tell time... Tell me about this. So, yeah. there, so Trump, as everyone knows, he didn't want to participate in that big debate in Iowa, ahead of the Iowa caucus. So he said, I'm going to hold this big charity fundraiser. Yeah. And there, it was sort of run through the foundation, but you have these emails from Koy Lewandowski, who was the campaign manager, saying to the foundation, hey, we need to cut these checks before the caucuses. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. That is bonkers. <laughs> that is like brazen, willfully corrupt to do that. I, I, I want to read, uh, I know I'm reading a lot here, uh, but this is from the Washington Post. In January 2016, Trump skipped a debate among Republican candidates because he was feuding with the Fox News channel. Remember that? Yes. Where, like, at the time I was like, oh, this is kind of kind of awesome. Yeah. Trump and the Fox News channel are, are fighting with each but other. But now they're this like is, state TV. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what a... Oh, what a how wistful I am about <laughs> Fox News back in the day. Uh, but yeah, there was that feud with Fox News. Uh, instead, Trump held a televised fundraiser for veterans, drawing millions from wealthy friends and small dollar donors and giving much of it to the Trump Foundation. Yeah, Underwood, the Attorney General of New York, said that after that, the quote, the foundation ceded control over the charitable funds it raised to senior Trump campaign staff. She cited emails in which Corey Lewandowski, Trump's campaign manager at the time, directed which veterans' charities should receive the money. At one point, Lewandowski emailed uh, one of the people in charge of the money to ask whether the Trump Foundation's money could be ready to distribute during Trump's last campaign events before the Iowa caucuses. Quote, 
is there any way we can make some disbursements from the proceeds of the fundraiser this week while in Iowa, specifically on Saturday, end quote. That is in email, which first of all, never put it in writing. No, make a phone call. Didn't and the thing is, Corey's not new to politics, <laughs> no. right? He is, He knows that that is wrong and against the law, and he did it anyway. There's not a lot that surprises me, but like that sort of thing. <laughs> and then that also, but also the stuff about, and we knew some of this stuff before, right? There's the um, the thing about using the the foundation money to pay off his like legal settlements. Right. But that actual letter in there that has Donald Trump's signature saying, hey, pay this to settle this case. It's just like, it's just wild. And they- it the, really does. Blow and the, the fact mind. that the treasurer was like, oh, no, I didn't know I was a treasurer. Um, <laughs> uh, it was great. You know, and the thing is, <laughs> it's like, and he was just a Trump employee. He was That's just a like, Trump organization employee. <laughs> That's the greatest defense ever. Yeah. That's like when they kicked Steve Bannon out of the White House. He was like, yes, yeah, he was a staffer that worked here. Yeah. No, no, you can't just redefine yeah. what your job and, is. And the thing is, the. the uh. And the the thing the reason that kids are named in the lawsuit, in case folks are wondering, is because if you become a board member of a charity, you assume fiduciary responsibilities. Like you have an oversight role yeah. of that organization to to look at the finances to make sure everything's on the up and up. So that's why they're named in it. <sighs> and so, and what oh, ma- what it leads boy. me to think about though, right? I need so some fresh air. I need so to, like, please. So the, so every time we see stuff that's made public, uh-huh. it's like. Wild, right? The stuff from the Michael Cohen stuff. This, oh, so yeah. this is this eighteen million dollars, right? None of it actually was like from Trump, by the way. Right. So all this stuff right. is him directing other people's legally directing other people's money. Um, but this is a small corner of the yeah. Trump empire, right? This is a small part of what they do. What does the rest of it look like? Yeah. What are what are those deals in those foreign deals involved like that are clo- with close ties to the government? What it's just wild to think about and what's in his tax returns? All this sort of stuff raises questions about. Uh one one final note from this Washington Post story uh according to Underwood the attorney general uh in 2016 Trump sought to excuse his foundation's actions in a letter to the New York Attorney General, saying that the Iowa fundraiser was a charity event. The Attorney General of New York said yesterday, flat out, quote, This statement is false, because in reality, the fundraiser was a Trump campaign event in which the foundation participated, end quote. She also said that Trump had repeatedly signed charity documents saying that nonprofit organizations like his were not allowed to become involved in political campaigns. Quote, Mr. Trump's wrongful use of the foundation to benefit his campaign was willful and knowing. End quote. Yep. Now, we will get up in arms. We will get upset about people disrespecting the flag and you should be good to our troops and you shouldn't say anything that's going to make them somewhat offended to hold a charity fundraiser to benefit the troops yeah to benefit the veterans and then use it to line your own slimy pockets 
while your rich friends get a tax break off it too. So that I mean the whole thing is like Oh, you make me feel yeah, worse why, about it. Man, why please. They, you don't pay any taxes. Yeah, so this please is like make me feel worse so like, about it. Who was one of the biggest donors to the foundation? Linda McMahon, right? Who's yeah. now the small business administration head yeah. and I mean pay to play there. But um you know, so these really rich people are writing these checks to the foundation, getting a tax write off for it, and then he's using that money to pay for his legal fees or his legal settlements. It's and there's a lot of gray area when it comes to like uh, charitable like. I don't even know areas. what to say. There is no gray. These are cut and dry violations. There this is, is also where the bill press show ends for today. So yeah, like I've just run say. out of things to say. I've run out of outrage. Have a great Friday, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off here. I just so all right. So so let, let me ask you this. Yes. So, sure. I, I have said for a long, long time. Uh, or at least since he was elected, that we now live in, I mean, we obviously live in a pretty fractured country, but yeah. like things are even more fractured now in the sense that it's going to be the states that are going to be sort of dictating. And if you live in an area, that is sort of your way of staking your claim, right? Like Californians are Californian because, or, or in California, because they know that like, I've got the, these politics that are going to protect me and my land yeah. and my way of life and what we think that this country should be. Same thing for people that support Donald Trump, right? Like they're going to continue to live in in wherever, South Carolina, Alabama, whatever, right? But like if this attorney general's lawsuit, where does this go? It's a good question. So I think they're going to end up settling. You know, you remember it was the New York Attorney General who filed the Trump University lawsuit and right. he got a $25 million settlement out of it. Lest we forget. So I think I think he's going to settle. These are cut and dry violations. There's no way around it. He will settle. They'll dissolve, uh, maybe pay some fines. The question that I'm interested in is whether she filed referrals to the FEC and the IRS mm. um, because, like, the it's – they're basically uh, – these, these are legal in kind – these are legal – contributions to the campaign um the it's a violation of irs rules so it's it'll be interesting to see if either of those agencies do anything i would be surprised if they did and if they did it would take a while but that's also an area to look at i'm genuinely a little ignorant on this topic yeah um but like is this how it's supposed to work like a state sees this and is like oh this is wrong or you talked before about like the Congress and all that are well, I mean, as far as there. like charitable stuff, you cha- charities, nonprofits have to go through audits and they have to file all these forms every year. And technically, uh, the IRS looks at these things. Um, but you know, the IRS is the budgets are cut every year. They sure. don't have the money to do this stuff, so not they're not going to gonna look at. Not to mention, you've got just about every Republican yeah. just hates the IRS is not going to give them what they need. Yeah. So um, there are audits and and Republic and charities and nonprofits have to face questions from the IRS all the time. Um, so th- that is generally how that works. This is sort of a bigger deal because it's Trump and it's uh, um, not every charity gets gets uh, these huge uh, complaints from from like state attorneys general. Oh, oh boy. Um, so where I don't want to ask where does this end because yeah. it's seemingly never yeah. ending. Yeah. yeah. Here's what here's what I think needs to happen. Yeah. So. Um, 
first of all, the, if if Democrats retake control of the majority, I think one of their first priorities has to be a package of reforms, both uh, ethics, money and politics, voting rights, all this sort of stuff that to unrig the rules so we can keep from having people like him in the future. Are Democrats talking about that right yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, a couple weeks ago, they released this A Better Deal for Democracy package. Mm-hmm. It has a lots of good stuff in it. There are people on the campaign trail talking about it. And I think you're going to see, and Nancy Pelosi is talking about this culture of corruption thing. And I think what you're going to see is like what you saw after the 20, 2006 election, mm. which was, you remember how corrupt everybody was then? Yeah. Um, That's where the whole culture of corruption yeah. thing began. And they passed some like lobbying reforms. I think next year they need to do a, go much bigger. Um uh, uh, both on ethics and money and politics and all this stuff. And I think that's going to be the key moving forward. There's nothing we can do about Trump right now. Mm. Um, and Republicans aren't going to hold him accountable. But I think moving forward, when Democrats take control, they need to take action. I think that um, what you just said, there's nothing that can be done right now. I mean, there. I mean, there are obviously things that, uh, lawsuits that are, are happening. Yeah. but like, people need a, to speak a, out on a government, federal government level, like. Yeah, they've you, chosen. They've staked their. Yeah, and I mean, if people are angry hill. about this, it's really important for them to talk to their member, their house members and senators, because people generally, lawmakers like to believe that people don't care about corruption issues, and so they need to hear from their constituents do that they, they really. Do. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah, I just, that, and it, I think it's not. That seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's not. Everybody's first worried about the economy and healthcare. Right, they think yeah. corruption is bad, but it's not their animating issue. Fair. And so we have to voters have to go out there and say no. But think because the thing is, the corruption impacts all of those things, like drug prices, healthcare, like our economy. All those things are influenced by corruption. So your your prediction is he will settle this New York yes. Attorney General case. He absolutely will. I, I, by the way, I want to play uh, a, a clip from Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, because yesterday she was obviously asked. Yeah about this, uh, and here's what she had to say about it. The previous New York AG, who was forced to retire in disgrace, <laughs> made its stated mission to use this matter to advance its own political gain, and the current acting New York AG has stated that battling the White House is the most important job she's ever done. Uh, that sounds uh, outrageously biased and certainly problematic. Um, and very concerning. I, I laughed. You know what I didn't hear in there? It was a denial of the allegations. No, 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 no. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I know a lot of shady people in my life. Yeah. And they all have that reaction to their own bad behavior. Yes, Eric Schneiderman was a terrible, terrible person. He did some horrible things. And he quit. Yeah. And there's some great people working in the New York AG's office. The AG's office isn't Eric Schneiderman. No. There are a bunch of really incredible professionals there. And they are... And there are the receipts. The thing is, we have these receipts. They did terrible things. They were blatantly illegal. Yeah. That's, that, that's what it is to me. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yes, Eric Schneiderman is bad. Is New York Attorney General's office? Obviously, no. Let's talk about the facts. Let's yeah. talk about the concrete evidence that we have right here in our hot little hands. That email from Corey Lewandowski... Yeah. That probably would have been a better question to ask. Yeah. Should the president's campaign manager have been emailing the head of a charity trying to direct funds? Yeah. Don't talk to me about Eric Schneiderman. Yeah. I, I'm I'm happy to forget his name. Who yeah, cares? Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Oh boy. So I mean I, I will say, man, she's good. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is good. For for the for the purposes of what she's yeah. in, trying to do, yeah. she's good. Yeah. She 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 knows what she's doing. And for some reason people seem to like her. The press 
press people seem to like her a little bit, and I, it's. I don't get it. Yeah, I really don't. I just get hope it. when she when she quits, she is like Sean Spicer and can't find a job. I think that's. I think he's. She's going to do a better job of finding one than, I than do him. Too. But I will say, if there's any heartening news, was that when Sean Spicer was like, "I'm out. I'm gonna cash in. I'm gonna go get that he can't. cush job." No one wanted him. He, he ended up this week no working for a Trump him. super PAC. Yeah. Like that's it. That's what. Yeah. And that's not going to pay you a bunch of money. No, and that I mean, it puts him right back to where he was before he went to the White House. Yeah. And all of these people that take like White House jobs and do it for one reason, for the cash out yeah. later on. Yeah. All these Obama staffers are like running these corporate comms gigs, right? Like and who, who, who's who's running Uber now? Uh, it's uh, Puff, right? Yeah, Puff is like, and, and like Robert Gibbs went off to go work with like Google. Yeah. Jake Harney, who knows what the hell he's doing now? But he did some tech job, right? Some yeah, he's cashing comms, in. Yeah, like they're making, they're, they're printing money. That's what now. you do. Yeah, those corporate comms jobs, you make a bunch of money. Yeah. Do you think Scott Pruitt's wife will replace her? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it'll either be. Oh God, look, Donald Trump is live on Fox and Friends. He came out to the. Uh, to the stakeout, uh, oh, not the man. stakeout, but the, the Pebble Beach where they do yeah. all the live hits. Yeah, he tweeted that he might join, and then there, there he is. Look at that. I've made it my goal. I don't look at his Twitter feed anymore, unless I have to for one I try not shows. to, yeah. Like, I don't follow him. Well, you know what I did? You know, you know how far I went with this? Bill, uh, who's not an avid Twitter user, but he wants to see the notifications for when Donald Trump tweets, right? And so, like... Pull back the curtain a little bit. Bill tweets about the show. Ray, you tweet about the show. I'll sometimes tweet about it. I don't tweet about it very much. Yeah. Because I took the Bill Pressure account off of my phone because I couldn't deal with getting these goddamn notifications from Donald Trump every five minutes. Yeah. I don't want them. I think it's important to part of self care, which involves serums and beard oil, is also like take, getting off Twitter. Amen. Right? Especially on the weekends, I Amen. find it's really important. Seasonal. Citrus is what you need to Seasonal use. Seasonal citrus. With a Where do you use it from? Where do you get it from? I get it from like Whole Foods. Oh, okay. It depends, right? Like during the seas, yeah. like if they're like during the season, if like they're like nice. So you use it like a moisturizer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I get the jojoba oil, put in a lot of fresh citrus. You can smell it today. Nice. That's nice. I smell like a juicy fruit, piece of juicy fruit gum, I think. Find us on Twitter, folks, at BP Show, <laughs> at BP Show. Uh, Adam Smith has been our guest. Adam, I. I really can't thank you enough for yeah, the work that you've been here. doing uh, and also joining us as often as you do because this is the most important stuff with the White House. I mean, he what can he get away with? Yep. Follow Adam Smith. He's a communications director at Every Voice uh, at asmith83. I really encourage you to follow Adam. It's a great Twitter feed for a lot of different reasons. asmith83. Thanks so much for coming in, man. Thanks I for having me. It. Have a good weekend. Or try to, anyway. Yeah. My God. <laughs> Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press today, June 15th, all day long. Remember to check out the podcast today. If you haven't heard the whole show, we put the whole thing up for you. Just look for the podcast wherever you look for your favorite uh on-demand audio. 
And we put out special ones every weekend. Um, usually it's either Bill or Peter hosting. Can I tell you, can, Ju- by the way, I should just go ahead and point out, Julia Manchester is here with us from The Hill Reporter <laughs> for The Hill. Thank you for having me. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, we love having you in. Uh, and I'm so excited that you would come in here with the uh, the JV team. Oh, it's no problem at all. You guys are great. No, bless your heart. <laughs> uh, there is a new podcast that we're putting up uh, for Father's Day uh, t- tomorrow. Uh, yes. And it's going to be all about... A subject near and dear to my heart, hot barbecue. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we talk barbecue. Uh, and you can only hear that podcast if you're subscribed. Just go subscribe to The Bill Price Show. It's coming out tomorrow morning. Just in time for Father's Day. What father doesn't love giant hillocks of meat? <laughs> well, if you listen to another one of our podcasts, Rich Landau is a vegan who I also, would not I also did a podcast about a pile how I, of yeah, barbecue. Yeah, I also did a podcast about how to go vegetarian for a month. Yeah, which I did too. But all of this and more, it's wonderful. Um, it's not all food, content. by the way. It's not, it's all, not food. all food. I just want to be clear. We did all kinds of issues. No, we talk politics. We talk food. We talk culture. Sometimes we talk beer. We it really goes everywhere that the show cannot go in this two-hour format, and it's really fun. So you should check it out. Yeah, man, we're diverse. We talk food and beer. <laughs> yeah. Next cigars. <laughs> Joining us at Food Beer, we did weed one for one podcast, which I still would encourage you to go back and listen to. Where we had that the first... one was intense. It was intense. Someone did a dab in the studio. Which I have never witnessed, and it was intense. It's not for me. It's definitely I can now tell not you it for is me. not for me. <laughs> uh, joining us in studio, reporter for The Hill, Julia Manchester. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at Julia, M-A-N-C-H, Julia Manch. Good yep. to see you. Good to see you, too. I feel like I've said this probably about 70 times in the last year. What a week we've had. What a week. What a week. What a week we've had. So, so yeah, it started out with, well, I guess we're going to last week now, Trump and Trudeau trading barbs. Trump goes to North Korea, has what he says is a very nice meeting with Kim Jong-un, authoritarian strongman. says reaches an agreement, which critics say is very vague. Um, and we're still hearing a lot about the, I guess you could say, fallout from the meeting, what happened, new footage is being released. I think the most recent thing was um, there was clips of Trump saluting a North Korean general. Yeah, okay. Was, I, I want to park on that for just a second. Right. Because I said from the very beginning of this whole summit talk and all of this, like, what are we doing? I think that it's probably a noble effort to try and have some yes. sort of talks with yes. North Korea. I do genuinely believe that. But I think that so many people, both the reporting and from the administration, we just glossed over the fact that this is a horrible, murderous dictator and a horrible, murderous regime. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Kim Jong-un. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, that needs to be front and center, I think, of this conversation. And I know that Barack Obama famously said, you don't make peace with your friends, you make peace with your enemies. Right. But at some point, you've got to say, like, wait a minute. This is a bad hombre. Uh, and we've got to acknowledge this. We've got to acknowledge it. And I don't, think it was, I, I don't think it was acknowledged at all. Donald Trump said, oh, there are a lot of places that are very tough with human rights stuff. Right, right. And I think what... Donald Trump is trying to do really is take from his own playbook of business dealings and such and try to apply that here. And I think um, critics say the issue with that, what the issue with that would be is the fact that, you know, 
this is an authoritarian strongman who um, clearly does things his own way, does not have the same checks as, you know, a regular business person in the U.S. would have. Yeah. Um, a completely different animal he's dealing with. But, um, yeah, what, what's been interesting for me this week is to really look at how conservative and liberal me- media has covered this and really compare that with how conservative and liberal media covered Barack Obama's 2015 with Ra- a meeting with Raul Castro. And it's almost flipped. Yeah. So you had a lot of liberal left-leaning media saying, you know, praising his meeting with Raul Castro, who's also not the nicest sure. of leaders. Um, but now they're bashing... Um, President Trump's meeting and the same goes for it's flipped completely and we're seeing it with Republican and Democratic lawmakers but one lawmaker that really he he surprised me with his response was Bernie Sanders yeah, Bernie yeah. Sanders you know he said look um, it's vague this could take years to hammer out you know we don't know what's going to happen but it's a step in the right direction but I think a lot of other lawmakers you know I wrote about um, Ch- um, Chuck Schumer Nancy Pelosi Chris Murphy they ha- they really drove home Trump's um, message of he's he's a tough guy and he loves his people. They really went after that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what a lot of Democrats and a lot of critics are going after, too. But we've also seen a lot of Republicans be skeptical as well about all of this. So really looking at the agreement is really too early to tell yeah. what's going to happen. But I think a lot of the coverage right now is about Trump's conduct and you know the nature of the meeting because we've never seen anything like this before. It's 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 very different. And to contrast that with what happened at the G7, I mean, it's jarring. Yeah. In Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it blows my mind. I, a couple couple things, right? Like I've, I've mentioned this a million times, but sure, everybody's here, tired of hearing me talk about it. But <clears throat> HBO did that final year documentary on the Obama mm-hmm. administration, and it was all not all, but mostly centered around the Iran deal. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I highly encourage you to watch it. I mean, it is I, – I, people always think that, like, you know, governmental work is, you know, like the highest thing that you could do. And it's so organized and everything's got – no, it's really mm-hmm. not. I mean, it really is an Armando Iannucci film. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of a mess. But you get to see it happen. Right. Uh, and there was a lot that went into it. There was planning. There was struggle. There was – some turmoil within the like the the administration the Obama administration itself like should is this even something that we should be doing? Mm-hmm. And it took him like a good year to figure this out. And Donald Trump was like, eh, let's yeah. go, let's go, let's just go do the we'll figure it out, we'll yeah. wing it. Yeah, with the Iran deal, comparing that to North Korea, it's interesting because I do think we had a more of a relationship with Iran than we had with North Korea. Fair. Totally um, fair. And I think at this point. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it seems like this agreement was hashed out between the two of them there. That agreement was probably most likely agreed upon and worked out by North Korean and U.S. diplomats before they arrived. For all intents and purposes, this was a lot of pomp and circumstance. And it is historical. um, But, you know, yeah, I think this is a baby. It seems like it's a baby step. But it's really hard to tell because North Korea has is known not to keep its word. Yeah. on these deals. I mean, they did it with Bill Clinton, and, you know, who knows if they'll do it again. I, I still come back to the the time that Bill Clinton, when he was no longer president, went over to North Korea to get one of the uh, uh, prisoners that was over there uh, mm-hmm. with Kim Jong-il, and he sat there stone-faced while Kim Jong-il wanted this photo op right. of a big, smiling, former United States president, and Bill Clinton just sat there with a scowl on his face. Right, Because right. that would give them what they wanted. And Donald Trump 
saluting a member of the North Korean military gives them exactly what they want. And in fact, I want to play a, a, a clip, two clips actually. Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday. Ray, I want to play the first one where she talked about the human rights problems uh, in North Korea because Donald Trump now, we now know what he said. There are a lot of people, it's very tough. A lot of people have these problems. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That's a factual statement. A lot of people have done some bad things. However, the president hasn't ignored uh, the bad things that have been done by the North Korean regime. But I don't think that he's really highlighted it either. I don't think that he spent a lot of time talking about it. Yeah, not at that meeting. And it's because seven months ago, I mean, I remember at his speech at the U.N., he was going after North Korea for the, you know, their gulags and the starvation of people, um, you know, Kim's assassination of family members. So it's a really, really stark contrast. I mean, I I don't know what he's being told behind the scenes by his own people. Um, I would think that diplomats, your traditional diplomat, would take a different approach. Um, But it seems like he's really taking the page out of his own playbook. Uh, And she also commented on the salute, the salute to the North Korean general, uh, our president, saluting him. Here's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders says. Uh, It's a common courtesy when a uh, military official from another government salutes that you return that. Ah, yes. Citizen of the world, Donald Trump. So up to speed on all the customs of what should and should not be done when he's uh, when he's abroad. Like, come on. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I'm not an expert on military etiquette or anything. Um, but yeah, that was definitely I don't think we've ever seen something like that before. Um you know, I remember back in what was it, 2009, a lot of conservative media went after Barack Obama for doing a deep bow to the emperor of Japan. And obviously, I mean, that's different. I understand we were at war with the emperor, empire of Japan back in World War II, but this is a completely different scenario. Yeah, completely yeah, totally, different. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not an expert on that. But, yeah, it was surprising. But here's the thing. I think the bigger point about that is we didn't see that. That came from North Korean yeah, state media. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think North Korean state media is really playing this on a loop. They have, you know, the um, dramatic music. And, you know, the they call her the pink lady. I d- can't recall her name, but she's usually oh, delivering. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the yeah. Fa- famous broadcast. R- right, yeah, right. So, you know. For years, the North Korean people have endure, like, gone listened to very negative propaganda about the U.S., but now this complete 360 comes along. So um, interest, I think it would be interesting to see their reaction. <laughs> it's a tough needle to thread. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to say about that. Either. I'd have to ask a military expert. But Here, Here's where I come know. down to it. It's um, It's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Yeah. (laughs) I just, you know, this isn't. Come here for all the punditry that you expect. (laughs) It's something. Yes. It's just. (laughs) all I got. To contrast it with the G7 and the comments about Trudeau and the back and forth, and now Canadians are starting, there's a movement to boycott U.S. goods that's growing there. I mean, this is Canada. Yeah. And then to contrast it with North Korea, I mean, you know, I think it was obviously a historical step that the president took and it, um, to do this. But it is interesting to look at those. Um, I don't know the differences. And they were so close together. Yeah. Time wise. I have to like not get so upset about these little. I mean, it's. It, Really and truly, right? Like him mm-hmm. saluting the North Korea dicta- uh, 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 general, mm-hmm. 
is a really, really bad and dumb look for America. But but comparatively speaking, I can live with it. Right, right. I, and I don't and I don't need to give like an open door to bad behavior, but like I'll live with that. I think a lot of it too is dumb, a lack of it. understanding about Korean culture in sure. general. Actually, I was listening to an um believe his name i can't remember the name of the expert but he was on cnn yesterday he's done business in korea and he's in south korea mm -hmm. and he said you know in korean culture you don't if you're doing a business dealing you don't even smile at them at the end of the dealing of oh the, wow yeah that's just what i heard i'm no expert sure, so sure, 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 there's sure. different etiquette that you have to follow and you know north korea we, we don't know too much about north korea right. but you know i don't yeah, I think it was just a lack of under. It seems like it was a lack of understanding. Again, again, citizen of the world, <laughs> Donald Trump. Yeah, not sure that he's up to speed on all the local customs and, and traditions. Right. Let's move on from from North Korea and the trade stuff and just the wacky week that we had on that front. We also had a wacky week in the Mueller investigation. Uh, Michael Cohen has parted ways with his lawyers now. Immediately. People were saying, oh, this means he's going to cooperate with Robert Mueller. This is what people usually do. They give up their giant legal team so that they can cooperate and actually flip, and, and they don't need those lawyers as much, the, the, the huge team of lawyers any, as much anymore. Uh, is that the case? Or uh, We certainly don't know for sure, but what are you hearing? So there's actually a lot of conflicting yeah. reports and things coming out of this. So there is the um, theory that it's because he could flip. Mm -hmm. um, however, there's another theory that he wants to get an, a new legal team that has more contacts with um, the federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York where he's um, under investigation. So lots of different scenarios at this point. You know, it's interesting to look at this through the lens of Rudy Giuliani because he was <laughs> going on, um, I believe he said it on Fox News this week. He said, well, we don't think Cohen's going to flip. And it's whenever he says this, it's kind of it seems I don't know this to be certain, <clears throat> but, you know, I guess one could read it as a bit of a messaging tactic to Cohen. Um, so and there also have been. That's how I read it, right, by the way. Yeah. And there are reports that Cohen is concerned that he he could be indicted in the very near future on um, potential crimes. So, you know, lots of different reporting coming out of this. We'll really have to see. You know, one of the other uh, um, theories on what this all could mean, Chris Christie floated this, I saw, is he just said, might have just run out of money. Yeah. Or not necessarily run out of money, but sees himself running out of money soon. I mean, there are a lot of things that Michael Cohen is facing. A legally. lot of things, a lot of things, definitely. And if he's mobbed up with a very expensive, very thorough uh, legal team, this could get expensive real quick. Yeah, yeah. So I think that could definitely be um, also a very real possibility. On your point about the whole sending a message of right. like, we got you, you know, like we'll, we'll we'll give you that pardon if you do go down. Just don't don't flip on us. Yeah. Uh, is that a real concern? I mean, is anybody? Let me put it this way. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. We've seen all these different pardons for seemingly no real reason, right? Mm -hmm. The Martha Stewart one was one. Uh, the Muhammad Ali, which, or, or, these haven't happened yet. But these, right, these, right. Donald Trump has talked yeah, about yeah, these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're not just rumors. Uh, the Muhammad Ali, what I love, because the, the, the state of Muhammad Ali, the lawyer for the Muhammad Ali estate, came out and said, like, there is no pardon to give. Right. There is no pardon to give. Mm -hmm. But still... Like Donald Trump is letting everybody know that know that he has this pardon power and he's not afraid to use it. Is there a fear 
or should there be a fear among the Mueller team and and the like that Donald Trump will just, no matter what they find, will just pardon Cohen, himself, whoever it's, else. It's definitely been talked about. I yeah. mean, we saw Giuliani and Trump, I believe it was one or two weeks ago, talk about the possibility of, you know, they said, oh, well, Trump or Trump said I could pardon myself, but I'm not going to because I'm innocent. Um, or there's nothing really to pr- not innocent, but there's nothing to prove, you know, that I did anything wrong. I remember that conversation <laughs> we were having. That was the outrage du jour about 50 years ago. AKA last week. Yeah, I know. I can't keep track of it anymore. Um, Yeah, there's definitely talk about it because there was reporting that the president does like pardoning people because, you know, it is a way to, you know, use your executive power. Um, And, you know, I believe CNN first reported this, that he wants to pardon hundreds of people or whatever, has like a, you know, correct me, I, I could be wrong. Maybe it wasn't CNN, but there was an outlet that reported that he wanted to pardon quite a few people. Yeah. And there was a there was a time period. There was a, you know, what, two weeks ago when it was um, Alice Johnson, the Kim Kardashian yeah. West case. Um, Who, by the way, should have been. Yes, pardoned. yes, absolutely. And then, you know, so, several other people. So, But it's telling that it took a Kardashian to get him to pardon her. It's, yeah. It's, that, that is the Trumpiest thing ever. When what, what About that thing that's so ironic is that she worked for Jared Kushner. And Jared Kushner is no friend of the left. Oh, my and, God. And, you know, so that was. So I think, I, yeah, I think this is about wielding executive power at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I don't about I, power in politics. Right. I don't think that Donald Trump took a nuanced look at the drug laws in this country and said, "Okay, yes, this one woman that Kim Kardashian lobbied for should be freed, therefore we should let all of these nonviolent drug offenders free," which yeah, we should. Mm-hmm. Uh but I I don't think it was about that. I think it was the celebrity thing. I think that we are a celebrity-driven nation. We are. Which is why we elected a celebrity as president. Mm-hmm. And this is what you get. You get someone who uh, responds only to like headlines and celebrities and things like that. And that that's this is the perfect culmination of it. Like, of course. Of right, course. right. We heard about, you know, I think Rod Blagojevich was in, in that. He was on Celebrity Apprentice at one point. Yeah. Um, you know, and I do I do commend Kim Kardashian for her effort yeah. in all of this. You know, I think it was very impressive, um, very noble. Yes. Um, but yeah, she's a real she and I think she she capitalized it. I think she's very smart. I think she realized, you know, this he and I have something in common. They knew each other before. He clearly likes her husband. Yeah. So, you know, I think she was very smart in all of that. But yeah, but Martha Stewart, Rod Blagojevich, the Kim Kardashian thing. Yeah, very celebrity driven. Yeah. It's something that he likes, and I think he admits he likes That's it. Exactly. You know? That's exactly it. I mean, and again, you know, there are people in the White House whose job it is to just look at pardons and which ones sort of uh, pass the test, which ones would be worth looking at. Ultimately, it's always the president's decision, but there are... There's a staff of people that look exclusively at this. Right. At pardons. At pardons. And none of it's being looked at. It's just, hey, I know that person. Right, right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if he actually goes through and pardons all of these other people. Spoiler alert. That he wants to pardon. He will. Yes. <laughs> he will. We'll see. I'm going to, I'll bet you a, a Coke. Hunch. I'll bet you a Coke. 
He's going to do it. I, I just uh, That's just my guy. Right, I, like, right. I, what, what's going to stop him? Why, no, would, exactly. why wouldn't he? Uh, I do want to ask you about a different topic that you wrote about yesterday. Uh, AT&T has completed its acquisition of yes. Time Warner, which is kind of a big deal. A I know that huge deal. In any other news cycle, in any other like time that we were living, this would be gigantic. Mostly because it was the White House, it was the Department of Justice that was like, no, 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 stop this. We don't want this to happen. And the judge said, no, this is happening. Right, right. This was uh, in full disclosure. Um, I used to work for CNN, which is right uh, yeah. So I'm um, just throwing that out there. But I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. We are nothing is not ethical here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was definitely a huge victory for AT and T, Time Warner, and a loss for the Justice Department. Um, and the president has railed against this deal ever since the campaign trail. And I think there's been a lot of speculation as to why he was railing against it. Whether it's because hmm. of the coverage at CNN. Oh, you ding, know. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Right, right. So <laughs> that played into it. But, um, yeah, this is a huge merger in the world of media. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these companies, you know, come together. Um, but, yeah, um, I guess the the Department of Justice has, I believe it's 60 days to appeal it, even though a decision has been made. However, it seems like the decision will stand at this point. My favorite part of the story was the judge afterwards said, like, you got 60 days to appeal. Don't appeal. Right, right. Don't do it. Yeah. Like, you're going to waste your time. You're going to waste your money. You're going to waste your manpower. Like, this is going to get shot down again. Right. Like, this merger is going to happen. Like it or not, right? And I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm pro-merger. I think I might be pro-merger just because Donald Trump is against it. But, like, right. I don't think it's a great idea to have more media conglomeration. Yeah. I genuinely don't. Yeah. But all that being said, the judge was like, this is going to happen, guys. Like you, it or not, don't appeal this. Yeah. And You'll I, embarrass yourself. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see the reaction from the administration because, you know, if it's true that Donald Trump, I mean, I, he has rail against the deal, but if yeah. he takes this, you know, if he wants to push further on this, I think, I don't know, I don't, I, the, is the DOJ, I mean, I'm assuming they'll, they'll have to follow what he says, but um, yeah, I don't know if they'll want to stretch this out, even though the judge said no, but, no. you know, on a different note, I mean, I think the media part of this is fascinating. I mean, seeing like HBO, CNN, what's, I don't know, I'd love yeah. to see the future of coverage and entertainment and how that's going to play out. So. Yeah. Uh, Julia Manchester, we love having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a magical weekend. Thank you. Uh, She's a reporter at The Hill. You can follow her on Twitter at Julia Manch, M-A-N-C-H. And, folks, that is it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. And make sure you check out the podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. This is The Bill Press Show.